Are you there? <laughs> Sounds like the UFO is landing. Boo-boo, boo-boo. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> I think you got feedback. <laughs> Ascension Age, and I have AscensionPsychic.com, and she has 
ascensioncenter.net, and we also have Alien Contact Organization, and I have aliencontact.org. She has Alien Contact Organization spelled out with .com after it. I have the abbreviated yes. version, aliencon.org. So we're going to introduce ourselves. Uh, I'll put in this uh, beginning here. Janet, you want to introduce yourself, or you want me to read this beginning? You go ahead and introduce yourself, oh. because we're going to also be on your show. Aquarian Radio. You, you can want do to. your beginning if you want. Uh, you know, we've been doing this for a long time. You know, I'm Janet Carolesson, and I'm a contact the experiencer author. Uh, what do we do? We do uh, websites radio. and radio shows, and we did a conference, conference speakers, and we just keep doing all this stuff. Life is very interesting, and. Um, and I'm going to turn 65, February 6th, which is Bob Marley's birthday, and Ronald Reagan, which is a good friend of TJ's. She knew him when and he was alive. What's that? And my grandmother. And my grandmother that died many years ago. Her name was oh, it's a- S. Sarah Bolton. Yeah, she was my grandmother, and I loved her. I wouldn't be the person I am today without her. So I think that's uh-huh. sort of cool that you were born on my grandmother's birthday, too. She was the sweetest person I ever knew. Nice, nice Aww. lady. Yeah. Nice lady. Well, that's yeah, good. So, you got to have a nice relationship with your grandmother. Yeah. yeah, I only got I only had one grandmother. My other grandmother died. The story was that uh, she had this cancer, the size of a, a football in her stomach, and it was inoperable, mm-hmm. and she was dying. My mother was pregnant with me, and uh, my mother couldn't bring it, couldn't tell her. I don't know why she couldn't tell her mother she was pregnant with me. Maybe her mother didn't want her to have a third child, but I don't know. Anyway, she never she never got to tell Grandma. So when I was born, Grandma would come and stand at the foot of my bed. <laughs> and, and I would see this woman standing at the foot of my bed. At first, I didn't know what was that. Is that real or not? And then finally, I saw a picture of Grandma. And I said, oh, that's the lady that stands at my foot of my bed and watches over me. So she must have been my guardian and really curious about me and taking care of me. And then one day my mother was holding me and she looked at me and she said, I think you're the reincarnation of my mother. But I remember thinking, looking at her, nah, I'm not, I'm not your mother. <laughs> I'm not your, I, I just got to know on that. But I, I didn't express it. I just let her have her, her fantasy. I know she loved her mother very, very much. Oh, and then that mother uh, used to come into the house and I, I would come up from behind my mother, and she's talking to somebody, you know. She's in, like, in her bedroom or in the other room, like, come up behind her. And I would come very quietly, and I'd watch my mother talking to this lady over in the corner, like, on the other side of her. And she's having this full-on conversation. This is in broad daylight. And I'd go, wow. She's able to bring her mother through and have a real conversation with her. So, anyway, that's how I started. That's one of my beginning stories. <laughs> what about you, TJ? My grandmother had the gift. Uh, now, not the one I was talking about, Sarah Esther Richmond, that um, I was my mother's mother, but Sarah Elizabeth. Most of my grandmothers were Sarah's. Interesting. But wow. Sarah Elizabeth Thurmond, T-H-U-R-M-O-N-D, 
she, um, well, my mother would talk about her talking to people, but I would go up to her and ask her because she would talk to people, and uh, whether it was day or night, <laughs> sometimes. Right. And she was just as normal as you or me, but she could, uh, if she thought we were watching TV or something, she would go over and somebody would be standing at the window in her mind anyway, and she would talk to them. One day I walked up to her and said, Grandma, who are you talking to? And she told me the name and introduced me, and I was like, hi, how are you? And of course, I don't think I saw anybody, but I felt a little odd. But then I said, okay, well, I'm going to go sit back down because she did it quite often. But, I mean, I remember being probably five or seven watching her and talking to her. But she did that her whole life until she died. So, uh, But my father and mother just didn't mention it much. <laughs> and we never talked about it. <laughs> so That's funny. That's funny. It's just funny. <laughs> it, so, so your your grandmother was open about talking, and your relative, your mother, everybody knew that she did that, but you just didn't talk about, didn't shame her, didn't make her wrong or bad. Now, um, my I, mother felt felt embarrassed, ashamed that if you said, um, and I did make that mistake, Mom, who were you talking to? I saw this lady in the room with you, right? You know. And, oh, she would get so angry. Um, but uh, she probably got shamed for being a psychic and able to talk to her mother. Probably somebody shamed her. But my brother, see, I thought, well, maybe I'm nuts, you know, because you always have that when you have something paranormal and then years go by and you go, what, is that real? Is that really real? Nobody else having these experiences, right? Because nobody's talking about it. But then finally I talked to my brother and I thought I was having all the, he said, oh, no, the piano would play by itself. Uh, oh, I saw mom talking to her mother all the time. You know, so I think my mother was even more open. Well, my brother's seven years older than me. So she was even more open about that. But by the time I came along, there was a lot of shaming about her psychic abilities. So she she got really embarrassed um, when she would get busted talking to her mom. So I just I I never shamed her about it. I just go, okay, she's talking to her mom. Fascinating, because I could well, somehow she, she was bringing. Talk to her. What's that? You know, she quit a couple of times. Uh, you know, if we interrupted her, she'd just put her chair back and move it back to the table and walk away with her head up, just like you know, you know. I mean, that she would just if we bugged her about it, yeah, you know, went up to her, but. I just happen to remember that one time. I really did want to, I don't know, for that one time, but I'm just saying that a couple of times she, if me or the other kids would say, Grandma, she would just quit and put her chair back, you know, at the table and go about her business and just quit, in other words. She wouldn't say a word. Uh-huh. She'd just quit. Like a, she did not like she'd been caught or anything or she'd say, I have to go or something, but she'd dismiss this conversation and just, you know, she didn't want to bother the children with it. You know, she she usually did it when we thought we were preoccupied. But it seemed to be if we came up that she would quit. You know what I mean? So she was aware of, you know, she didn't like us interrupting her. But I wouldn't say that she got mad. She just <clears throat> quit. She quit. She was so annoyed. You had yours had a, had a would have a anger issue about it. Quitting, I think she was in. I think she was embarrassed, and then 
yeah, later with me, she would have like, I don't know what she was feeling, but it was very uncomfortable to talk to her about it. Uh, like shame, um, embarrassment, and, and I would never push it, but I guess if I would have pushed it, she would have gone into anger. But my mother was an angry person. She was a very frightened and angry person. And so um, she probably was, you know, and I, I don't know, she was probably undiagnosed schizophrenic or this whole thing of being able to see ghosts and living in a world where that wasn't acceptable. Her religion was very much against anything. There was a biblical thing she would quote me. If you're, there's something in the Bible, if you're seeing, you're talking to spirits or something, it was um, the devil, it was satanic. So she was very uh, superstitious like that. You know, she was into exactly what the Bible said about the negativity and, and Satanism and, I don't know. She's well, Presbyterian. I thought that was pretty middle of the road. What's that? Let's start with how, how we, our family seemed to have gifts. My mother was, uh, my mother could tell, was very concerned in her 30s because she could tell when she'd get a premonition. She was like a precog when airplanes would fall. I don't know why, oh. and they would. Yeah, so our tornadoes were coming. Before anybody knew it, or it was on the news, and she knew something was coming, and she called it a cyclone or tornado in Louisiana. But I remember that. And then, you know, you'd go and she'd turn on the TV, start listening for news. But she could predict weather or airplane crashes, and even in Houston when we moved there. But she did not believe in UFOs. She didn't believe in alien contact. She said, Now, Jan, you know I don't believe in that. She always called me Jan my entire life. Uh-huh. And Jeanette, because she was Teresa and I was Jan. <laughs> and right. if, I, if she was mad at me, she'd call me Teresa Janet. And I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> but my she was she named me Jeanette, J A N E T T E. Yours is Janet, J A N E T. But my right. dad would always call me Teresa Janet. And mother said Janet was his girlfriend, one of his girlfriends, because he said, well, she said, well, what do you want to name her? Because she named me after her, Teresa, or somebody did her mother. And he said, well, he can, said that he told me, I said, how did I get that name? He says, well, we couldn't think of any names. And she asked me, and that's the name I came up with. So it wasn't like a big thing back then, I guess, to go through baby books like it is today. <laughs> like right. Used, you know, <laughs> like we were born. But I was number one, and you were what, number three? When you were born? I was the third of three, and you were the first of how many? Six. And then Mother married, remarried, had one child. I have a half sister, Tish, Leticia Thomas, Sandeha, wow. out of Houston. Yeah, she's Catholic. Wow. Uh, but we were brought up Baptist, strict Baptist. Southern and we were brought up Presbyterian. Presbyterian. Oh. So let me ask you something. Um, I think, well, I'll just make a statement first. I think because that we had these tendencies in our families, uh, we came in with these abilities, a lot of these, you know, telepathic and uh, psychic abilities, right? That that's why the government programs, the government people started to look at us and our families because we had these natural abilities and somehow they knew about it. And you and you had an episode where they came. 
What's that? Did you ever have any government people? Did you ever have any government people around you, or not until you were in college or Pennsylvania? Do you remember? Oh, you know, I I met a fellow who said he was um, a royalty. He was uh, he he contacted me. As an adult, he contacted me as an adult, right? But what he said, he he said uh, that they were tracking me coming in. And huh. then I was led to uh, go rent Taken because I don't have television. I haven't had television since I moved to this house in 1997, right? So I get these these things that say like guidance, and it says go rent this and that. So back then, remember we had Blockbuster, right? <laughs> so I went down to Blockbuster and I rented taken right and i would rent one and take it back and get the next one get the next one so i saw i think it was 20 hours of taken by steven spielberg and i believe it was made somewhere around the year 2000 and and then i was i was just really astonished when what was the little girl's name Um, Allie. Allie. Allie clark when they said we tracked you coming in now I don't think I heard I yeah, I think I heard that like a year it was I can't remember exactly how that was, but it was shocking when I heard that from this fellow. And then he said that they had a room dedicated to me in some the Naval Academy over on the East Coast. I guess it's in Academy. I should Google this, yeah. But then you years later you told me that you were tracked coming in. But I think there's certain yeah. people that they track coming in. Uh, anyway, I, well, I think what uh, Spielberg was reporting something that actually happens. Yeah. Yeah, he had a man write the story for him, but I think the research was done, and uh, they a lot of people related to that. But uh, I totally related to it because of my story. So when I did in 2016. Uh, uh, a paranormal panel moderator and people were allowed to ask me questions but some of the kids said I was the girl because they asked questions and said you're you're Allie and Taken so I was like yeah I've been told that I had been told that, that, that a lot so uh, a lady had sent me the book Taken from Roswell New Mexico because she believed that too and said you've really got to read that so people started sending me that book I had uh, got two or three copies. People would mail it to me because by the time, uh, when did it come out? Was it? uh, I'll go look at it right now. Yeah. 2002. But when did the book, I know Dakota Fanning played her and she was a really young girl, but my family Uh lived in Lubbock, my sister, the Lubbock lights and uh, her boys. And they found out who they were in internet by reading what I'd put about them and Lubbock <laughs> and some of my stories. So I thought that oh, was really strange. Novel. I didn't even know there a was novel. a novel on it. I thought it was just the movie. Okay, so uh, it was done in October 29, 2002. Uh, it's only $6.99. I'm going to add that to my cart. <laughs> Take a look at it. Uh-huh. Yeah, here we go. I know I'm not going to buy it right now, but I always add things to my and it's like a little fantasy. Mine like, are all in well, I get the money. Yeah. What's that? I was just, I, mine are all in Kentucky. I, my whole library is gone. I had the first book that Stanton Friedman read, 
uh, and then the VA gave me a lot of books when I was being guided through the VA with Tom. To, they gave us a bunch of books because they wanted me to do the research. They left all these books out. I remember with Tom, they were hoping I'd write a history of all this, you know, the UFO business, because I was writing mm-hmm. back then, 2007. He, he died in 2015. But the last three or four years of his life, we'd go to the VA in Evansville, Indiana, and they had a bunch of books, Ruth Montgomery books, some of the books of the old UFO people all out, and uh, they'd allowed us to take them. It was really a strange situation. There were books all the way up, all the way down, and said, yeah, we, we could take them. Please take them. I was never seen that before. I'd been going there for you know two or three years, and all of a sudden, all these books were there, so I took some home. But they're all with Deborah Dockery now in my old house, and she said she threw them all away, all my books. And I had some priceless copies. Oh my God! But she didn't, and she's an author, but she didn't care to keep all the books. So mm-hmm. I probably lost my baby book and everything. But you know, you can't take it with you. So here I am now, and here you are. We're doing a radio show about our alien experiences. So I guess we ought to talk about those. So we're starting yeah. with the taking. Janet and I both related to that story. It affected us. When you were talking about the part where they had the lights tracking and then the little girl went on the front porch and told all the people there to come and she helped them get their little implants out of their noses. So you had, you have, of all people, had little things in your nose. I, I broke oh, my yeah. nose. So. Well, how do you know if you do or don't? But mine, I remember getting. I was, um, let's see, I was, I just started kindergarten, and I, I was so tuned to my mother. So my mother would get upset, right? She was always getting upset. So she got upset because I was going to miss school because I had, I couldn't stop sneezing when I got the implant. I woke up and I, and it was just, I. It, you know, liquid was just pouring out of my nose because my body was trying to get this thing up my nose out, right? And I was just sneezing. I could not stop sneezing. And she said, oh, I guess you can't go to school. And I'm like, well, I just can't stop sneezing. And I was just nonstop. Now, my mother never would take me to the doctor because we were poor. She said, I can't afford to take you to the doctor. Oh, no. So it was always like, oh, you know, I, I, I didn't like to be sick because she would get upset. So anyway, we rode that, but I, I'll never forget it because it was so traumatic on so many levels. Not only was I having a physical reaction uh, from getting an implant, but, you know, it was causing a, a major upset in my family. So anyway, um, do you, well, do you do don't you remember getting any kind of things? I, I broke my nose. I had to wear a ba- uh, like a baseball catcher's mask on my nose. It was very traumatic. I couldn't breathe out of my nose. How did you break your nose? I got hit with a baseball. I was playing. I always played softball teams, but this was out summer in the back of a girl's house. And we loved to play softball. And it's a, it wasn't the this hard. It was the big, fat softball. You know how girls used them, but they were still hard. Mm-hmm. We used the professional right. with the leather on that. But, but I was catching it, so I busted it. I remember I've never seen so much blood in my life you know, outside the big wow. pool. And then they took me in and set me on the bathroom, uh, what do they call that, the throne. 
I sit with it down well, and just bled everywhere. But uh, I broke it and then had to go get it fixed. And then later on, my do- my sister two years later did the same thing, playing softball in the same backyard, and did it well, herself. But it was terrible breaking my nose. I couldn't breathe. I broke my face in five places. So uh, it was oh pretty my traumatic. God. You know, I both you not, I still smell good. I can't. I I never could smell a game properly. I can. You know, if I get up to a, a rose or something, but while people can smell things, it's been very hard on me. I see people, you know, whatever that is, it, it, it was sort of broken. So can you smell right, good? Yeah. Or oh, uh, I, I've never been able to smell either. And so I just go, people who are talking about smells, I go, nope, I was born without a sense oh, of smell. Right. But I think it had something to do with the implant I got when I was in kindergarten. And I remember after that, I was always so embarrassed because people would say, oh, smell the pretty. But, you know, thinking back, it was before that. There was something going on before that, but I couldn't, I you couldn't have any memories? No missing time? Uh, uh, no abduction? Who knows? I, I don't really no, have missing, missing time. I, I just have things that I clearly remember. So the other thing implant I remember getting was when they put one behind my right ear and I remember I was outside I like to go outside and play um you know I would I I'm kind of a loner because there was nobody my age right my brother and sister were older and they would be off in school or playing with their friends and and I was kind of by myself with my mom and my mom didn't really she my mother was bored with being a mother by the time I came along you know uh, she was older, and I think she just wanted to do something else. So I would entertain myself, and so I would go out into the yard, and I loved, um, I like, I like singing. I would go out in the yard and just sing, <laughs> and uh, and they were just songs I made up. I call them nonsense songs. I'm singing a nonsense song, and then all of a sudden, um, this, and, and I now knowing what I know, it was probably some kind of drone. But it was a um, insect-sized drone. But it was very insistent on coming up to me and piecing it together with what Bud Hopkins said in his books. It probably, you know, paralyzed me, knocked me out, and then they took me up on the ship, and then they put in uh, the implants behind my ear, and then they returned to me. And so when I came um, into the house, I would say, mommy, mommy, a a bee stung me, but it wasn't a bee. And then my mother called my dad, and he came home from work, and they took me over to the doctor, and the doctor didn't know what it was, and he's there. Yeah, something definitely's going on. Oh, it's probably just a cyst, and it'll go away. Because they didn't know what the hit, that was, what, 1958, right? They didn't know what the to do with stuff like that <laughs> they have no concept so and it didn't it 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 you know, went down it was very swollen very painful and it went down um so that was in 1958 and i remembered that but then years later i'm reading bud hopkins book and he said that they tend to put the implants in the nose and it was in the right nostril <laughs> mine was in the right nostril and they put them um, behind the right ear, and I'm going, wow, I got that one. And then um, when I was a teenager, 
they um, said they like to take out a, a sample from the right tibia, um, which is the front of the leg towards the bottom there. And lo and behold, that was another time I got the, um, this, it was like a scoop mark, but it was into the bone. The bone, you could actually feel an indentation of the bone. And I got married at 16. So uh, every time my my husband would, you know, bump into my leg, I would shout out in pain. And that lasted for two to three years before that indentation grew over. So three that's three things that I recall. Um, but that I, I've always known that they've been taking me, <laughs> just to use that term, because uh, I used to run like jump and run getting in and out of my bed at night when I had to go pee. <laughs> it was like irrational, but once I found out what was going on when I read about Betty and Barney Hill <clears throat> and saw the movie, oh, no wonder I was afraid to get out of the bed. I was afraid of the, you know, the little people grabbing my feet and grabbing me and carrying me off. <laughs> so anyway, did you have anything like that? Any uh, irrational... Uh, I had, uh, remember, we've had this conversation before, folks, over the years, but where I would start my story if we were making our own taken book, which I guess we need to, and uh, we can put, you know, by the time phrase, but remember I was, my second, my next sister had arrived, Brenda, on South 7th Street, and I was down on, there's uh, the Baldwins right next to me and the Dozier's on the other side. And uh, we were, my grandmother lived on 2nd, we lived in 7th in Monroe. It was all Air Force barracks before where my grandmother lived on 2nd. But this was a new area, and uh, mother had gotten some money from her father dying. And uh, she put her money in to build this house. I guess she paid cash for it. But uh, it was just a regular, back in the 50s, it was like a little three-bedroom. I think it was a two-bedroom, one bath, but a living room and a swinging door into the kitchen in the back. And then a nice little, had a swing set in the background. But when my, <clears throat> when my mother was taking care of my sister, I went down and I remember seeing myself as a child, sleeping, so I must have been four or five, because Brenda's your age, I think. She's two years younger in October. Now I was born December 26, 51. And I remember seeing myself fall asleep, but I was overhead. And I don't know, I remember looking down, I was with in, on a ship with my, I call it my ET family, and looked down and saw myself and they explained it to me. And I had, I was like, how can I be down there and I'm up here? And they said I had to go back. So I didn't know if I was a walk-in, and I'd been asked that by Ruth Montgomery, she said I was from somewhere way out, you know, like a cosmos being way, way out or something. But she, uh, I, I believe in Ruth Montgomery at the time, at J. Allen Hynek. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, um, I was laying there, and I remember being overhead, and they told me about them. So when about 56, this was before, probably 55, 56, because by the time Sputnik flew over, I knew all about being in space, and uh, my dad was pointing, and I was trying to say, yeah, and, you know, they were like, what? So they didn't understand, they thought I was a really different child, because I spoke 
very eloquently, and I had an excellent memory that could ask me anything uh, about what was coming on TV. We only had Channel 8 and Channel 10 from El Dorado, Arkansas, but I could tell them what was coming on, things like that, at a very early age. But that's, I'll always remember looking and seeing myself, and my mother got scared because I was asleep. I don't know. They must have kept me there a long time because the sun was starting to come down. I remember having to go back. They stayed right over head like in a cloud and uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember going anywhere so but I remember looking down and uh, having to go back down and not wanting to and then my grandmother my mother had called my grandmother my aunt Bella and Uncle Rufus to come look for me and that's how I came out was telling that story in 2007 on the UFO Digest I told I was so scared and anytime I'd talk about it I would get, and I still to this day recently when we had uh, Jan Harsden on Thursday night, I was shaking, literally couldn't sleep the night before, and I was shaking because something about Jan Harsden makes it real for me. I don't know what it is, MUFON or just the fact that he runs MUFON, but I started shaking again, and it was like having to come back from space and be on the planet. But the, I, it was like an anxiety attack or something. But I, mm-hmm. I tried to tell my mother. Anyway, I remember going back down, and then uh, my grandmother and I tried to tell her. I was pointing up, you know, I was up there, and she said, "Well, don't. Where have you been?" I said, you, you know, "Your mother's worried about you, and I'm so glad we found you and all that, and you're okay and everything." But then she turned around because she was always real sweet to me, but she was holding my hand and taking me back across. There was little lots. They weren't acreage. They were like lots, probably half-acre lots or so. But anyway, she took me back. But she said, don't tell your mother anything about this because I was up there. And I was, you know, a little kid explained it to her. She's like, you're not making any sense. (laughs) You're in the sky. You're in the cloud. You know, she's just like, uh, but she, she didn't believe me. So that was my first experience. But then when I died, Remember, in the second grade, I mm-hmm. had the orbs. People come pick me up. So that was with hepatitis. So that was my second. Now, these people uh, were up over my bed. Now, that was the second grade. So it must have been visited four or five, and then in the second grade again at seven or eight, 50. So, okay, so there's Sputnik. So I remember talking to my dad about, you know, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's normal. So in my world child these beings were real and i know that they trained me in my room i have memories of working with a person that my parents didn't see remember when i told you about the person and mother came and said well bring leo and she said i wanted to go in the back seat and she said she opened the door and i knew she couldn't see him she left him on the porch he stayed on the porch uh-huh. she wouldn't come with us right i don't know why i can leave right. the room right you're a yeah, my invisible friend. <laughs> Wasn't it all six foot Don't forget my invisible <laughs> friend. My husband's yeah, making so. a smoothie. My apologies. I'm sorry. He came back early. So, <laughs> yeah, well. um, so Leo, what did Leo look like? What did Leo look like? I don't remember. He was small, and he was a boy, and he was my best friend, and he taught me things. And I remember he could teach me ESP and how to build with my blocks. And I was learning levitation. I was learning things, how to do numbers and how to do things as a child. So mm-hmm. they were extracurricular tools that to use my mind. But 
I do remember that because nobody else could do it, and I could know things. So he was training me because, remember, I'd already been up on a ship, so, and I wanted to know things, right. and I, I didn't want to be alone. So and mother, I was the only child, and mother was the typical Donna Reed kind of mother with the dresses and the big slips and mm-hmm. the right. and everything was hair fixed in a bob. She was quite the, uh, very happy. She had had a home ec in Washtenaw High School, and she was, very well trained and looked forward to being a mother. You know, it, let's see, her mother uh-huh. had her at 23, but she had me at 20. So oh. she was about the 1950s and giving the kids, you know, the perfect life after the World War II because she was raised real, real poor during uh, when her Jewish grandpa listened to them killing his uh, relatives in Poland during Hitler time, you know, on the radio yeah. in uh, Clark. Clark's, Louisiana, because he worked and ran the sawmill there. So she had bad memories of war. So she wanted, when I came along in 1951, actually I grew up with the 52 babies because that was December 26, 1951. So it's just like I just turned 67. But I went to school, you know, with all the kids the next year. So, Uh, But let's see, no, I started early. I started at five because... I started five to six. Uh, the reason was, my I remember over and over asking why I had to go to school. I wanted to go to school really bad. Mother had to go talk to them, and they said it was up to her and me because I, my birthday was at the, before the end of the year. So she got me in with everybody a year older than me. So I had to adjust. I was always the youngest kid, you know, being born December 26th. So I must have been with everybody that was born in 50. You know what I mean? Everybody yeah, was like six absolutely. months older, months older or something. So anyway, but I was five, five in the, uh, five to six in the first, and then six to seven in the second, and seven to eight in the third, eight to nine in the fourth. And that's when I went to Roswell, New Mexico, and White Sands, New Mexico. And I was already tall, but I had already died with hepatitis. So my first right. out-of-body near-death experience in the second grade. So we got to get that in because wait, you know, let's, right let's slow this down a little bit. We're we're going too fast. Uh-huh. We're going down time, so we're eight years old. Um, let's go back a little bit, get a little bit more from what we were when we were younger. So how old were you? How old were you when you had that invisible friend? <sighs> Um, before, uh, yeah, from the you... time I could probably two to, I remember him uh, entertaining me before Brenda ever came. So I, he came to, was my friend until I went on the ship and I don't remember him after I went on the ship. Isn't that interesting? Okay. I never thought so, so give us a time frame. So when on, you went on the ship at what age? That would be, well, uh, Brenda was two, I think it's two and a half years. I think I'm two and a half years. So she was born on October 13th or October 21st. She was born October 54, I think, because two mm-hmm. and three. Yeah, she's I was born about February your, 54. So she's. Uh, yeah, I think she was born in October 54 or 55. Anyway, I had a sister, and then 11 months later, I had a brother. So they were 55, 56, maybe 54 and 55 or 
55 and 56. But anyway, she was in diapers and a baby when I did this. And to me, it seemed like it wasn't cold and it wasn't hot. It seems like to me it was spring, like maybe Mm -hmm. May. So I don't know. I do know that he, I remember the house. We don't really know years. So that was, uh, so when she, when you went to White Sands, let's go to the, so let me see. So we're, you're we're in 50, second grade. And that was what year? Second grade would have been. Let's see, five to six, I started at Plum Street Elementary. And then we moved. No, mother, they were going to build that new, another new house because she had me and my sister and my brother. So second grade, I was going to Mitchell in West Monroe and stayed with my aunt. Mother was working at Owen Matheson, and so was my dad in West Monroe at the paper mill. My grandmother was the PBX operator for Mr. Brown, and then Mr. Brown sold the paper mill to Owen Matheson. And they uh, had a box company, and they had the paper. My dad would run the machines in the big, gigantic building for paper mill. So, Mm -hmm. let's see, Mitchell second. So five and six school first. Mitchell Elementary, six to seven. Then I went to Ransom Elementary, third to fourth, with principal was Walters, and Miss Townsend was a library and Miss Bridges was my third grade teacher. So third grade, and then in the summer of the third, after it had hepatitis at Mitchell in the second, and they had to bring me my homework. That's when I died and saw the angels in my room, or ETs, whatever you want to call them, and they told me I'd be okay. So that's when the Catholic Church was like, whoa, she's seeing angels. That was in the second grade. So after I got better, they told me I'd get better in 11 months. That's when I decided to go to Roswell, because I was already trained with extracurricular activities by my invisible friend, and I've been on a spacecraft. Then I died and came out of my body. I had my first out-of-body experience and saw angels in the second grade. By the third grade, I had to get better that year, so the next summer, I could get my, um, my grandmother and my aunt and uncle, Aunt Phil and Uncle Rufus, to take me to White Sands, Mexico, to see my family again. <laughs> My ET family. ET <laughs> family. Now, how, did that, how did that come about? And then we should go back and I'll tell about when I was uh, on board ship and a couple things here. But how did how did that come about? So you said I want to go to White Sands, right? You just yeah. Said, I tell them it was all because yeah, they, of you. They didn't understand. There was a lot of adult questioning, but because I'd been so sick and mother had a baby and and the. And we moved out to the uh, 115 Diane Street. There was a red brick home. It was a real pretty home. And they started building other houses in the Haynes subdivision. It used to be New Natchitoches subdivision, but Mr. E.B. Haynes built that subdivision. And the water company Nichols lived there, Troy Nichols, Tommy Nichols, and Johnny Nichols' daddy. And they all went to school with me. And I remember my teacher later on hurting my feelings because she, you know, I had little brothers and sisters, but she didn't think – mother always dressed me with really nice clothes, but she didn't think I lived in the mm-hmm. same neighborhood with them. So she thought – I don't know. She just acted like I was poor, and they weren't. And I was like, mother, I've dressed nice. Mother made most of my clothes. I don't know. But mm-hmm. anyway, she just – feelings. But anyway, so that was uh, 
when we went. I told my grandmother, and my grandmother told my aunt and uncle, and my uncle had an uh, an uncle out there that lived on the Indian reservation, and they decided they'd take me. And uh, I don't know. I just said I willed them, to, willed it to happen, but I knew I had to go <laughs> there. But I don't understand how a person, you know, I observe it from my inner self, but and, and I observe as an investigator growing up as the trade of being an investigator, but I really find it odd in my story that the truth is stranger than fiction because how did a child living in Louisiana will her family to take her to White Sands, New Mexico? And then I find out my uncle works at Alabama. Well, let's Florida. look at that. Let's look at that, okay? That's a good question. Let's not, let's not go past that too quick. What I'm finding is a lot of these people are in uh, these different programs. So your uncle or your dad or somebody was working at Bright Sands? Let's get that piece of the puzzle. Is um, it your uncle that no, worked there? I had died. Remember, it was hepatitis. I lost all the blood, and they brought a machine up from New Orleans to Monroe at St. Francis uh-huh. Hospital to clean the blood. They didn't know what else to do because I turned yellow and was dying. And their last-ditch effort was some doctor said, well, we could try this new machine, 57, 58 at time, to clean her blood. So they brought one up. But when they took my blood out of me and cleaned it, it made me pass. That's when I saw the angels. But Great. Uh, where I'm going with this is I had to learn to walk and talk again. So the golden – I started knowing the golden angels. So they're like on uh, – the people, they were orbs, but they were golden orb people. I called them like, my mother would make us sit down and watch Wizard of Oz every year. And the house. same thing, we had Wizard of Oz. So that might be, yeah, same thing. We had to watch, well, we didn't have to, but it was like we did every they year. insisted, yeah, every year. My mother insisted that we sit down every year, Campbell's Soup, snowing or not outside and watch Wizard of Oz with her. And so we did that. And it's a family tradition. And my mother and me and my sister. And then, but, so I thought this was normal too. Remember, I'd already seen uh, Sputnik. I'd already seen my ET family. And then I'd seen Sputnik mm-hmm. come over, so I thought that was normal. Then, after I kept to learn to walk and talk and seeing angels overhead, you know, I'm just assuming this is life. So then these bored people coming bubbles, and I was passing out because I had, I couldn't walk and talk good, and I couldn't walk, and they would have to carry me to outside and put me in a red hammock so I could get air. The doctor decided getting fresh air was good for me, but I couldn't walk yet. I was that weak, and so they'd have to literally carry me. And it was very, I mean, I died, or I mean, literally died and came back. So mm-hmm. they carried me. Right. But... Uh, towards the last few months of getting outside in through my spring to summer, I was getting brave and wanted to walk in to use the bathroom. And I remember it was the red brick house that I fainted. And these beings, I woke up with them picking me up and standing me up. And nobody else was around but the gold ore people. <laughs> and then the bubbles just <laughs> disappear. <laughs> So, right. to me, they're real. Or people are real. <laughs> hey, the or people are picking me up. <laughs> What's wrong yeah. with you? So don't see the or people? <laughs> yeah, don't get it. But nobody would be around when they would appear. So, you know, right. that's 
But how I got to uh, from there is when I decided, and I don't know if they inspired me to go or how. I don't know why I wanted to go. I just knew I had to go. I mean, I had to go. There was no stopping me. If I had to hitch a ride on a train or a bus or I don't know. But I was only That's third what they do. They, they 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 give us experiencers like this call, just like on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Everybody had yeah. to go to that Devil's Mountain, right? And they don't know why uh-huh. they have to go there. And it doesn't. It's not clear until they get there, and something happens. So your something happened, which we'll get to in a minute, was. And so, so anyway, you. But the, what was interesting is that yours wasn't because you were a child. You had to get some adults to take you there. Right. For some reason they all complied, but I thought you said that somebody worked at White Sands. Yeah, my Uncle Rufus, Aunt Bella. Now, my grandmother never drove a car because when she she fell off a running board on an old, old Model T or something with other kids, and I saw the picture, and then it changed her. And she would she was never drive a car. She was scared of cars, so her entire life she spent never driving a car. Now, her grandmother, her mother, I mean, Grandma from drove the horse. Well, they had an old mule and a cart. Drove from. Clarks to uh, Monroe. I don't know if it's 16 or 30 miles. It was a long thing, but her 12 kids and the mule and the, all their furniture in the, the wagon with a mule. And uh, so Grandma didn't drive, and then my next generation didn't drive. So my mama was the first woman to drive a car. But uh, Uncle mm-hmm. Rufus and Aunt Bella, Uncle Rufus did. Aunt Bella didn't drive. So there was something about that generation in my family that didn't drive. But Uncle Rufus had a car, and he was a plumber. And Aunt Bella worked at the Firestones in West Monroe in bookkeeping. But uh, they had enough money to take me. Uh, he was a plumber, and she uh, worked at Firestones, and my grandma worked at the paper mill. So. My grandma was very obliging to me because she had to go to work when my mama uh, was a little girl and her husband died. So uh, he got married to somebody else but in between there, but that's a long, different story. But anyway, so the point was that nobody drove, but Uncle Rufus took me. And so they went down Route 66 over to New Mexico. And his uncle lived on a reservation, so we stayed on the reservation. I burned up and I caught Indian fire. But my other uncle, there was another uncle that worked at Los Alamos. Now I find that odd. But I've met mm-hmm. them, so I know they did. And then later on, I have more well, uncles that were in NASA. But go ahead. Well, yeah, I wanted to get that point in here while we're at this part of the story because. What I'm finding by interviewing all these uh, experiencers that had family in the government programs, you know, we know White Sands was definitely part of this secret military secret program, is that they often involved their children, and they have these magical children that are psychic and everything, but the children are often enhanced, so what happens is, like, for example, my friend Dan Cooper, his, uh, he and his brother, their sperm and egg and that whole admixture that became the fetus, which became them, it was genetically manipulated. 
outside of the womb. And then it was inserted, they were inserted into their mothers. And then she gave birth. She, she bore them and grew them in her womb and gave birth. Same with his younger brother. But they were selected because they had some basic criteria that they needed to create these magical people that are psychic and are and end up being part of the the secret programs. I'll just call them the secret programs. Um, so that's well, like that you was- you were like Allie. You were like Allie Clark and Taken. And so that's why they were um so agreeable to take you to White Sands because that's part of your awakening. When will she remember who she is? Well, there's TJ, eight years old, saying, take me to um, White Sands. And they're going, okay, she's waking up. And on some level, they must have known you were going to be reunited with your star family. Well, they had to take me to Carlsbad, and I had to go down into the cave. It was very important that I went to Carlsbad Caverns and I insisted on seeing the bats fly out of the cave and going down. It was like a six-mile walk or some outrageous amount. I don't know, but we'll have to look it up. It's called Carlsbad Caverns. So mm-hmm. part of the trip, it was like a two-week trip. You know, back in the day, they'd take off two weeks or something, you know, two-week vacation go. Route 66, I'm sure it took every minute of it over there. But I remember staying on the Indian reservation and getting Indian fire and having Indians pray over me in a circle. And I saw a movie once with Christopher Walken, I think. He's one of my favorite. I think he went to a teepee and there was a circle. But the Indians knew and prayed over me and knew I was an E.T. child and told me. Mm. But that's why I You're got E.T. child. <laughs> Yeah, I was an ET star child or star sky person or something. But they sort of informed me, but I still didn't understand, except I just accepted. But, oh, yeah, you know, I'd point out, and like, oh, yeah, yeah. So they knew I was coming, so I don't know how they know, but it was like, you know, the woman that came in. And there was a, a real a powerful medicine woman that healed my Indian fire. I still got a scar on my ankle, my left ankle to this day. But it was intentional, so it's like a scoop mark. And actually, uh-huh. but it was something to do with who I was and them and being marked and them healing me so they could see me. I had to get Indian fire so I could get on the Indian reservation and be healed so they knew I was coming. Some, you know, it's one of those whew, spooky things. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure how this goes together. All I know is what I experienced, and then it's just part of the sacred spiritual journey. So anyway, so they were living there. I went over to the Indian lady and went in the teepee, and they had rocks in a circle and some kind of sand scripture thing and put me in there and did a hot sweat lodge thing, and then I got healed of Indian fire, and uh, which is like impetigo basically, right, from hot, uh-huh. maybe having a mosquito bite. But remember, I'd been sick with a bad blood disease, hepatitis, the year before, right? They almost didn't let so me go. So you had impetigo. You had Impetigo mm-hmm. when you were young. I caught mm-hmm. it too. That's it might have been something that they needed to add, but I caught it too. And it was really bad, and my mother was dealing with it. And uh, anyway, and I was crying because it was painful, but I caught this uh, Impetigo. Yeah. yeah. It was worse than that up. Yeah, it was worse yeah. than yeah. My mother was infection. In your bloodstream from our either, I don't know, we'll have to look it up, I forgot. 
But I know that it was, they said it was because I got dirt on me because, you know, I was a kid and I played outside, but they made me take a bath every night. So they were very clean people. <laughs> Back in the right. 50s, they were taking a bath every night, rain or shine. They never let you there you, go. you had to be about seven. So it wasn't about the dirt. But anyway, so that was part of it. But they held me. And then I got to go to White Sands with them over to the White Sand Dunes. That's where I saw the UFO. The one uh, that's like a 30 by 30 or 40. But Tom always said 30 by 30. So that's what I say in or out because they're bigger than uh-huh. that. But when you, you know, but I got to see it and go and see a man, just like on Alley Clark and Taken, which shocked the shit out of me. But yeah, the mm-hmm. guy was standing there. And I remember going on board and they put, we were up on a sand dune. My Aunt Rufus, my Uncle Rufus and Aunt Bella, and my grandma was with, I, I called her Sissy. Because I wanted to, my girlfriend had a sister, a bigger sister, and I didn't, so I asked her if I could call her sister. So I'd say sister, mm-hmm. so that's where that from. But anyway, they were all <laughs> down at that uh, picnic table, and they let us go run up the white sand dunes. So I had a 13-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. Anyway, he was like a year or two older than me, and then she was like 12 or 13. But they put we were up on the sand dunes had a played all day, two or three hours, you know, to at noon to four or something. But uh, this ship came over and put them, they saw it. They were way on the top of a crest, like a point of sand, like you see sand dunes, but they're white. And we were up on top, and uh, so funny, I'm trying to do it with my hands so that you can't see it. And then uh, we, I remember seeing it, and then I, I looked at them, and they went to sleep. I was, hey, you know, don't you want to go see this, you know, and uh, they were asleep, but somebody was talking to me like in my head, and I went down the other side of the sand dude, down to where it landed. It went down on the other side from the family, you know, the relatives, and uh-huh. parked down on the flat part. There was, there was a sand dune and a flat part, and then there's maybe another sand dune behind it. But it came down in the middle of them, so I was able to go in there. And I don't know how long I was in there, but I remembered the guy, and people said, well, what did you see? And I remember doing a show for Kevin Smith, but he died after I did that show. Uh, oh. came on radio. Yeah, Kevin Smith did that. But he was the one. This is another part of the story that Kevin Smith was, uh, it comes later on, but as an adult, you know, way later when I'm writing for 2007. But uh, he was a sheriff in Monroe, Louisiana, and told me that he had known me and watched me my whole life. And he wasn't that much older Kevin than me, Smith? but. Yeah, he told me that he had part of the secret police and like Interpol as a global oh. police. But he'd been watching me. And then my a man that was, you'd be sure it's a real rich attorney, had bought something to do with State Farm. And I remember that, and my relatives worked over there. And is there something else? I don't know how this goes together. But the fact that he died just sort of freaked me out after telling this story on his radio show. Sort of make sure you don't want to do radio shows, but then I guess the only way to stay aware was to make sure I did radio because people said you better stay public because you, you don't. Everybody was dying, you know, at that time. Right. Were, you know, wasn't very happy about 2007 coming out. So anyway, but I'm back over at the ship, and I remember it was gray, like a pewter gray type of thing, and going on, and I felt real comfortable because I'd been this is my second time. So I have a very good feeling. I don't remember any shape shifting. I tried to say it was like a school, 
because in my mind, I can see kids learning star systems and stuff. And uh, I made the mistake on his of mentioning the name Whitley Strieber. No, that was terrible. Then I was just a copycat. Don't ever mention it, which I just did, but I wasn't. It was like a little <laughs> boy. Because later on in life, I get to meet him, and I get to meet Deepak Chopra. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I had this connection of somebody like him. But I guess it's because I had seen that show they did about Whitley later on in life when I was in the Navy. You know, mm-hmm. and I'd seen Adam Lillian McLean. So I think I was looking for a way to figure out who I was and if there were other people like me. But anyway, so I just know there were some kids on the ship, okay? Or looked like it was. They looked like kids. Maybe they were little grays. <laughs> Maybe they were just little kids. <laughs> I don't know. But I do remember that. I remember there were some adults and some kids. So however our brains figure that. And then I just got off. I, in my mind, I think I was gone maybe 45 minutes or so because I know I was gone and they started looking for us. And that's when they sent me back because the adults, I don't know how they know them, but they know on the other side of the day. And sure enough, um, they sent me back up and the boy and the girl woke up and we went down and the adults were halfway up the sand dune. Where have y'all been? We were looking all over for you, blah, blah, blah. You know, they were yelling and calling our names. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. The adults are ready to go. It's starting to get sunset. You know, the orange turning orange. And the sky was changing color, right? Because I remember looking back and they were gone. And it's like, where'd they go? It's like, you know, just climb up the den and they're, you know, whoa, <laughs> they were gone. So, but anyway, I think yeah. I learned something. I think the re- it was very important that I go. I'm like, well, why didn't they just get me like they did in Monroe? But there was something I had to right. do there. And my uncle working at Los Alamos. So there's, and I don't know because it, I was young. Well, we're at an hour already. We start off sort of boring with the stuff, but we're getting there. So why don't you tell, because I'm about, I mean, mine gets a little boring after this until, you know, certain events happen, benchmarks on my linear timeline. Right, right. So so why don't you tell yours? you know, I I have the period where I think there was nothing happening, but I think there was things happening. But there's there's a period where they want you to just uh, kind of, experience life and live a normal life, quote unquote, right? But there's yeah. nothing ever normal about our lives. <laughs> so let's let's go back in time with me. Um I was I was always aware that I was protected. They would say to me, you know, I I, I would have these communications telepathically. There's nobody there. Didn't see anybody in particular, but it, it was just like a, a constant communication. It's like, well, that was a close call. Well, we're always we're always with you. We're always protecting you, and you're hidden, and you're not going to be coming out until it's time, right? And then I would question, like, oh, can't we do something different now? Can't we come out with this information? They'd go, no, it's not time yet. We'll tell you when it's time, and. And we have to keep you hidden and we have to protect you. So that was one underlying theme. So when I was four, I was once again out singing nonsense songs to God. I really was fascinated with the concept of God, which I realized wasn't really the biblical God. It was the ETs, right? So it was a, these beings that were beyond my normal 3D 
reality existence. And I was always aware of, of um, going on ship, being on ship. So when I was four, I was uh, taken on board the ship, and it was a Vamana, which is the, the ship that looked like a, a city. So there was a whole city up there. And I was taken into, I, I had a tour of everything, and I was welcomed back. Like, you know, this is the family. This is where I'm really from. Welcome back. And then I w- was escorted into this. And I don't remember the beings. I, it's just like that constant. They're with us and communications. And so I'm led to this theater. It looked like a, a movie theater. But at four, I had never gone to a movie theater because my mother, you know, didn't take me. That wasn't appropriate for a young child. I know people take their children now when they're very young, but back then that wasn't something, or at least that's when my mother was conditioning me, like, no, you're too young to go to the movie theater. So when I went into this theater, it was like, wow, uh, this is a theater. And they, they greeted me, and I and they wanted me to sit in the front row in the center, so I went there, and it was a perfect distance. And there was a screen that came up, and it showed um, the earth blowing up, <laughs> and I was like shocked. But it wasn't just what was on the screen, and the whole imprint—it was like an imprinting, and, and I felt it emotionally and spiritually and psychologically. And um, so when the when the planet blew up, it went to the core of my being, and I heard everything, and I felt everything, and I, you know, it was every sense was activated, and then then some. And then the scene shifted, and there was another scene, and it was the planet was still whole, but there was a, a lot of destruction. So they showed me 12 variables on the theme that were all bad, negative reactions and, and outcomes, and then they showed me 12 that were positive. And, and I chose the third one from the end because the very last one was total utopia, and there was nothing left to do. And the second to the last was, I, you know, I show you that potential and and take you, like future pace you and go, through, you would go traveling throughout that multiverse, that reality, that timeline. And I and I, I felt the next one, the end one, the uh, second one, nah. And then I came to the third one from the end on the utopian end of the spectrum. I said, that one, that one, let's take that one. And when I chose it, it was like, oh, you just chose for everybody. I go, what? For all of humankind? Yeah, yeah, you chose it. Okay, I didn't know what to do with that, right? <laughs> I didn't quite believe it, but I went, okay. I wasn't going to argue. And, it, and just when I chose, suddenly I was back down in my um, my 3D world, and the sun was setting. So you, you have the sunset, right? You talk about the sunset. And for some reason, the sunset was, so colorful, so bright. It was like um, remember that uh, that Robin Williams movie, "What Dreams May Come," something like that. And when he was dead, yeah. it was like super enhanced, super enhanced yeah, colors. Must mean something. We'll just must say fade in, fade super, out for a movie. <laughs> yeah, it was like super enhanced. Uh, it was, I've never seen a sunset like this ever again. Right? It was super enhanced. And then, um, then they the ETs always tell their people, well, not always, but a, a lot of their people that they take on their little tours, they say, you're very important, you're very special, right? 
And so um, there, I'm down on the earth. I'm back in my human form. I think I was in my human form, but I was my eternal self with the, my awareness. So I knew who I was in the totality of existence, all the way up to my source being. So I was aware of who I was, not just Janet, but other incarnations and lifetimes or whatever, all the way up to source. So then I was returned to my narrow perspective. You're Janet, right? And uh, I'm I'm taking my body and I'm I'm putting my foot down because when they took me, my foot was up in the air. So I'm returned to the exact position I was in when I was taken. So I put my foot down, and there's the brilliant sunset. And then I get this communication that you've come here to do something which will benefit all of humankind. And then there was this elation, like, oh, wow, I'm going to do something important. My life has meaning. I'm here on, uh, with a mission. I'm here to I'm here to show up in the hero's journey. It's basically it's the beginning of the hero's journey. So you're you're you have the call and you go in the journey and you're 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 being called to do something on an archetypal level, the hero, and it's going to benefit humanity and you're going to be one of the white hats, one of the good people. So that was instilled upon me, and I took that. I said yes. I I agree to do that. That's my mission. And then I realized, oh, I can't tell those people because, you know, they're not going to understand it. Those people that are raising me, those people that are my brother and sister, they'll think I'm crazy. So I had the wherewithal to not go in and tell them what was going on. And um, then I wanted to, uh, you know, I, I kind of absorbed that and reflected on it for a while. And then they went to my mother like the next day and I said, I said, Mom, Mommy, I want to go to church. I want to see God. So at that point, I started to reintegrate into my human self. And it's like, okay, I want to do that again. But now it was God. It was an extraneous person. And it wasn't, you know, these ET people, which were part of my uh, soul family, whatever. And so my mother said, oh, honey, you're, you're only four years old. I can't let you. They won't let you come to Sunday school. You're too young. So there you have the too young thing, right? But um, you want you you wanted to go to school, and I wanted to go to church. I wanted to go to Sunday school. I heard about it. I wanted to go to Sunday school. So then I what? said, uh, my grandmother taught my Sunday school class. So I remember right, but I was a lot of four, so I wasn't allowed in it until you're five, right? You had to go to the nursery. There was the nursery. And I went oh. out to the nursery. I wanted to go to Sunday school because I'm a big girl and I'm smart and I want to go to the Sunday school. Get me out of the nursery. Goodness, that's for babies. I'm not a baby. I'm four. Now I've been on a spaceship, right? <laughs> and so um, so I talked to my guys because I was very, when she said no. And then I came back and I said, um, Mom, if you don't talk to they, you know, the people at, at church, they'll let me in. So I think there's, there's some kind of manipulation because she goes and talks to them. He said, yeah, it's really odd. They're letting you in. You're a year younger than anybody else ever. And that, that, that haunted me all through Sunday school because I, they never, everybody was jealous because I had started when I was four, right? And they, it was a big argument that unfolded because I was too young. 
because then that involved when you joined the church. You know, you had to complete so many years, and then you got to join the church. So I was a year ahead. Of, once she getting to join the church at such a young age, you know. So I ended up quitting the church because of all the bullshit. But <laughs> when I was there, so of course when I went to Sunday school, God wasn't there because ET wasn't there, right? And, uh, and then I I was greatly disappointed. So there we go. There we have a common thing. Now, oh, then I had the implants, but the call to go somewhere, that seems so familiar, like I had a call to go somewhere, but I, I think my call to go somewhere was this constant quest to try to, so I made my parents take me to the observatory, because there was that part, like, I'm going to see this again, and then I started to sleep out in the summer, and um, and then there were things that happened when I slipped out. And I don't have all those stories. I, I just am aware that it was very exciting and that things happened. And some people abandoned me as a friend because it was too scary for them. And some people were drawn to me. I know that I did something with my cousin, my older cousin. I had one that was a year old, older, and one was two years older. And I took that cousin on some kind of E.T. magical adventure, and she came back and told her mother, and her mother went to my mother. They were sisters. And her mother says, Lois is never allowed to play with Janet again. And I was crushed. But I think I somehow, you know, I was willful like you, and I somehow got her to an ET experience, but it was right out of the house in the middle of the day. It's like I called them and they took a, they took us and because she was like daring me. I, I would tell her things. She'd go, oh, yeah, you know, you're making that up. I go, okay, right, I'll show you. So somehow I showed her, but I'm blocking the details of it. But I know I did something which we would call magic, like what you did. Oh, so share before we go, we've got a little bit of time, but uh, I want to make sure we get in with your stories about when you were young, the story about when you had the superpowers and you saved your uncle's life who was going to get crushed by the car. You want to share that one? That was at my grandmother's. But, yeah, let me real quick while we're still over at White Sands with me. On the way there, we stayed at a motel. I still remember the soap the smell of the soap. I'm always looking for that, a little white bar soap. But I remember meeting a boy, and we had some kind of ESP communication. My grandmother didn't understand it, and my uncle and aunt uh, didn't know. But my grandmother saw me peeking out the bathroom when he was getting ready to leave. Uh, it was What it was is there was a Boy Scout jamboree going on, somewhere in New Mexico or something, and a big bus of Boy Scouts. But one of them, he and I, it was like something out of Roswell. We were supposed to meet or something. And my grandmother seemed to, she always catered to me. Uh, She loved me very much. But I remember there was a little window open over the bathroom stool uh, in the bathroom again, and she came in while my aunt and uncle were packing or something to look and they were sort of, you know, trying to load the car or something. But she saw me in there. I was very just trying not to be seen by the people outside. And I was peeking, standing up on my tiptoes, trying to see out the window. 
And uh, she's like, what are you looking at? And she said, was that boy you saw last night or something? And she looked out and she said, do you want to go say bye to him? And I said, I guess I said, yeah, because she walked me out there and I was real shy and embarrassed. So it's the first time I think I recognized a boy like a boy or something because I was third or fourth grade, but hadn't got the white sands yet. But for some reason, I still dream about that. It's the boy on the bus and the Boy Scout uniform, you know, with the shorts and the tie and all that. And then later on, my father winds up being in that and going to that Boy Scout jamboree, being a Boy Scout leader and taking my brother. And they went to the New Mexico National Jamboree thing. But I don't know who that was, but it still comes up in my dreams, that, that boy. I don't know if I meet him later. Or if he was an ET boy, or which one out of 30 or 40 getting on the bus, but I don't know. We had some kind of weird connection. It was uh-huh. very strange. And we just, st- I remember standing and just looking in front of him. He didn't talk and I didn't talk. We just, well, boy, he came up from the bus and, you know, everybody getting on. And I remember a man standing there smiling and he walked up halfway on the sidewalk out of the it was a straight sidewalk, and then he's up on the the sidewalk. It's a you know where they put a little line and then a cement line and a cement in front of a little motel. And uh, I go out halfway, and I look at him, and he looks at me, and we just look at each other. And I think he said bye finally after a few minutes. It was very awkward, but we did uh-huh. some exchange or something. And then uh, I walked back to my grandmother and. She held my hand, and he got on the bus, and we waved, and I walked in. I was really sad, so it was a very strong connection for a third graph going into fourth. I remember he he was older than me and taller uh-huh. than me, but we had some kind of connection because I think he may have been 12 and I was 9 going on 10, but all of a sudden, I remember right. wanting to be older. So I don't know why that's important, but... It was important. There was some kind of connection. It was important. Yeah. And and I have weird things like that too. There's so there's such a powerful moment that you you know, here's like sixty years later, you know, fifty five years later and you still remember it and you never forget it. And it's a it's a puzzle, like why was that so important? And then you keep dreaming dreaming it again. And and I had the same thing with with uh, not a little boy, but I went to the, um, uh, what was it called? It was an amusement park. It wasn't Westview Park. It was Kennywood Park, which was on the other side of town. So it was a big deal going there because my parents didn't drive very much. So we would go to Kennywood, we went to Kennywood Park, and I'm very young. So this is in um, that period between like four and five, somewhere in there. And I'm very young. And suddenly, there's this um, laughing lady with mechanical, and she would open her mouth, and she would laugh, and her whole body would shake, and she'd go, ah, ha, 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 and then she, her head would go down, and then she, her head would go back again, ah, until so it was down again. And I started watching that thing, and then suddenly, um, Nobody could find me. So I know they have clowns and things like that or screen memories, and they have amusement parks. And so they, they have these little key things 
around your abduction. So I know there, um, it was kind of like a, after that, it was like a uh, Alice in Wonderland thing, right? So I'm, I'm going towards this building with a big, like opening, like a, a like a, a, a mouth or something. It's a giant mouth is the door and it makes a character like a, a clown or something. So I'm going up to this building to go into this mouth, which was part of a building and it was almost like a Disneyland type of thing. And so I have all this stuff going on and then suddenly I'm back at Kennywood Park and I'm looking at the lady that's laughing. So all kinds of stuff happened in between. And um, I hear the loudspeaker. If anybody's seen a little girl, please bring bring her uh, to the you know wherever they wanted me to be brought to. And then suddenly um, I was found, and then somebody took me to where they wanted me, and and my parents were panicked. Same thing, like you had that. Like where were you? Where have you been? Explain that you were. And I don't even, you know, I've never done a hypnosis around that. I need to do hypnosis on that because they took me. So that was missing time. But I knew where I was the whole time. But I was missing for them. And I never yeah. wandered around away from them purposely. I, it, was, it was a setup. They were blanked out and I was taken in the middle of the day in an amusement park with, you know, hundreds of people around in the Six Flags you what? twice. One of my daughters was missing twice at the amusement park, and we found her at the little... We were all together, and then she wasn't there twice. She, it's, it's very traumatic. She got lost from us, and it's impossible because we had well, holding hands and everything, but you know when the crowds walk by or something, but she and none of, none of us can understand. I was in tears and running around, and it was a long time. It was like an hour. They finally... Uh, you know, because we were making a big deal looking for her and everything, but she got separated. That was Stephanie, number three of my daughters. Oh, but wow! She got lost. Yeah, my th- so it comes in generation, generation. But let me go back to that part you asked me about. That was when I was yeah, seeing ahead. that little boy, and we went over to my my uh, Leo had taught me some special powers, and I knew I had them. So because I'd been practicing like levitation kind of stuff, right, with my blocks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So what happened was when my grandmother lived at 1503 South 3rd, back in the day they would put these culverts down, these circle cement things in, in the ditches. Everywhere in Louisiana and Monroe, anyway, they had ditches out. Then you, you know, from the street, and then a ditch on each side where she lived anyway on South 3rd. And then they'd put these cement things in the dirt over it, and you drove up. She never had an asphalt sidewalk there was always dirt with rocks in it you know and there's two grass that grow in the middle of the two little things up next to her house and anyway the uh, old Plymouth they were 50 you know had like a ship a Plymouth ship on the front of it it's old big old round uh old Plymouth the old cars to me looked alike but 55 maybe 56 I don't know but my uh I was standing in the back seat. When we were little kids, stood in the back seat. They were real bouncy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't have to have seatbelts. So uh, they, uh, my dad was notorious for trying to move out at night and getting all, turning too quick. There were big old wheels and big old tires and big old steering wheel. But he uh, occasionally, more than three times, would 
pull off too quick and get off the culvert, and the wheel would drop down, and so he'd have to jack it up. Well, one night, oh. my my uh, mother's sister was uh, working out. He was a basketball player at that time, living in the next room. My grandma, so he came out to help my dad. So he did it for my dad standing there with the kids. And the jack came undone and fell, and my dad was standing behind him and caught him. So when he, the jack fell down between the culvert and the wheel because they were trying to get it up off the cement. Uh, it's real odd thing how they had it jacked anyway, but the jack fell somehow and pinned him under it, and he fell back on my dad between my dad's legs. So my dad was pinned under him and then the jack, and they were yelling for my mom because they would say, it's cursing him, it's cursing him, you've got to come. And mama was scared, and she didn't know what to do because mama would panic sometimes. But I was in the back, and I said, mama, I can help him. And she said, no, just stay in the car, mama. I said, and she wouldn't move. It's like forever. It's like she was like, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to Because she knew Sister couldn't have my grandma. But So I said, Mom, I can do it. Let me get out. So I just opened the door and got out and walked around, went over and picked the car up. And my uncle looked at me like I was super baby. It's like a Superman thing. You <laughs> were. I, mean, I picked up the, the car off the jack so they could slide out from under it. And he was looking at my dad like, how did she do that? Did you see what she did? She just saved my life. How did she do that? And my dad's like, <laughs> I don't know. But my dad was just so glad. He just, he didn't think, he's like, I don't know, but, was, you know, come on. And so he got him up and they, you know, went back to get it fixed and uh, got in the car and left, I guess, because, but my uncle just, he always looked at me really, really strange growing up with his kids and stuff. He, it was, uh, he, he he knew that that wasn't possible, but his my dad didn't. It didn't seem to for some reason. My dad, I don't know. He didn't seem to be faced by it. So maybe my dad knew something about me, or knew I was different. I don't know. They always treated yeah. me unique. But my uncle did not ever get over that, you know. But I don't. I remember having extra strengths from time to time, but it was like. Only certain times, and I still have a grip, and my grandson has it. So sometimes you can grip something, and you know, I don't know where it comes from. And some people say some people have that. So Stan Lee was, you know, following me when I was writing for UFO Digest. You know, Stan Lee, uh-huh. these comic books, right. he was looking for super people. And that's when I realized, why was he looking and reading my stuff? And then he and I would talk, and he was looking for super people. He says, TV show. He was putting real people in it. But anyway, I didn't want to do it. I was, I was, remember, I've always been real, don't want to do that. So I don't want to expose myself. You know? But I don't right, think I have right. it. I think it seemed to be after that, I went into the mind part, you know, studying how you can influence people with your mind and stuff in teenage years. But that was when I was, before I even went to White Sands. So now we're just stuck over. Yeah, you're, you're pretty young, yeah. right? Yeah. We're going to run out of time before we ever get it way up to now. I knew that was going to happen. It's a long story, you know, for you and me both oh, to yeah. tell. But it's going to take a few chapters. We don't, need to, you we don't need to speed through. Yeah, we can just do a little bit of the time. Yeah, do a okay. PowerPoint on it. Take two hours. I think that'd be great, Yeah. We got to find some pictures to sort of do this and make a PowerPoint for, you know, yeah, how this, if everybody has to compare 
how their stories, we all have something similar in the experiences, mm-hmm. and they're just now involved where they're going to let people tell them, even though they've been doing it to Congress. But we've, I've never been to a UFO Congress meeting or a UFO or a MUFON uh, conference or any of those. We've never been asked to tell our stories, but now it appears from us filling out that contact form for MUFON that they're going to have with Kathy Martin and Denise Stoner here in Florida where I am, but they're way down south near Orlando, and I'm way up here in the panhandle. I'm even on central time, you know, just about 60 miles from Mobile here, Pensacola, and I'm in Gulf Breeze over the three-mile bridge, but you're in Hawaii, and we both had somebody call, but I didn't have a good uh, reaction to my, they call it the ERT, it's uh, Experiencer Research Team. With uh, Denise and some guy named Mitch or some Mitch, anyway, he some man heads it up and Jan Harzan, you know, makes sure he gets the forms and then they disperse them. And I've talked to uh, Earl Gray. His name's Earl Anderson, but his stage name, being a guitarist, is Earl Gray, and he's an LPN. His daughter's an RN, but he's real sweet. He's the assistant director for California, so. You know, he's going to help us with our association and all these things because he's had experiences in his mother work for Howard Hughes. And Jan Harzan, is a, they'll be back to tell their stories, and we'll find out their encounter stories. But talking about personal experiences, awakening reality disclosure of what was kept secret, we'll have to get to that towards the end as adults. But becoming intuitive counselors and me I do tarot cards and you see dead people so we all have skills but Janet and I have <laughs> some skills but you know nothing super power nothing it's just it is what it is as you grow up and grow older and what you know, it is. telling our story and how it works in today's time and sharing uh, all the stuff that I think is going to be a normal future that people realize they're not just in the future, 3D people, like we were thought to be believed when we grew up, going to regular school and going to church on Sunday, and uh, people went to work and had jobs and retired and got a gold watch and a, a pension. I don't think that's going to be the way it is, but we're talking about it, how the, what the future is going to be now that we know we're getting the word out that alien civilizations exist. And we are alien contact experiencers all our lives. And right. how they compare. And, you know, there's other people telling their stories now, all these podcasts, people telling their stories. And maybe MUFON will be able to get a lot of them. We filled out the questionnaire, but it leaned more towards alien abductees and being more of a victim. I didn't care for the questioning, but I only got 10 out of 30, I think. Maybe 12 out of 30, I don't know. But he. Earl Grace said they're stacked questionally. They don't want people that answer all of them, you know, yes. So I don't know what they're doing with that. But uh, I, I don't want to be stuck like a pincushion. I don't want to be a lab rat. But I don't mind helping people <laughs> if, if they're telling their true story and trying to figure out their spiritual path and the journey Great. that we're all on with beings that come and go in I was always told I was special and I was chosen. That's part of my thing. Even the governor of yeah. Louisiana. I always said that people would say, oh, you're going to do great things someday. And you believe it when you're a kid, you know. 
Yeah, really yeah. Did. well, they're hoping to inspire you to do something. So, you know, there's good intentions. There's nothing wrong with that. It definitely, you know, it's hard being a kid. You need to develop your self-sense of who you are, separate from your parents, separate from everybody else, so you become an individual. So, well, we've got a little bit less than a half an hour uh, we knew we weren't going to get out of our childhood, and I think that's fine. It's good to slow this down. I mean, we've got a lot of episodes. We didn't even get into the teen years. Um, I was I heard your story, but every time we say it, we get a little bit more details. Um, so I wanted to go back and see what else. So we've got the story, White Sands. Um, now you, let's see. Let's let's do some out of body near death instances. So you went out of your body when you had hepatitis, and you were what eight yep. or something. What happened when you I died? Well, I was over my body, but I was watching the angels. They were in the and corner. And what were they doing? Mm-hmm. Talking to me. They were up. What in did the they say? Corner. That was going to be okay. So you're going to be okay? I was yeah. And, and what was your emotional state when you were watching yourself? Because I'm watching a show me. called, uh, it's called uh, Saving Hope. And it's about a hospital, I think a Canadian hospital. And it's um, probably reruns and old for most people, but I'm watching oh, Saving Grace or Saving Hope. Saving Hope, I think it is. And the uh, the doctor had been in a coma, so he was able to see ghosts. He was able to see people when they were out of body, like you. So you were out of body, and yet you were interacting with these. And I've had that same experience of being out of body um, to the people that are looking at me. I look like I'm dead or in a comatose type state, but then there's all this stuff going on. So yeah. So you were talking to your to some angels. What did they look like? People, I think. I think they were. Uh, I don't remember now because I know they didn't have wings, and they were. Uh, it seemed like a man and a woman, but uh, I could be wrong now, because uh, through the years, you know, I just know the personages, and uh, making me feel calm and not worry or anything that I was going to, you know, go on. And uh, they remind me later when I'm at a swimming pool and I almost drowned, but I knew because I'd talked to them that I wasn't going to drown. And one of those uh, people, whoever they are, extraterrestrials, pulled me up out of the pool in Monroe. It was really deep. Sometimes they put extra water. And I would, I was little and I'd go out to the fountain because my grandma had taught me to swim as a child. She was a very good swimmer, Esther Williams, Esther. Her name was Esther. So, And her, I could see her in her fantasies with her cap and doing all kind of things I saw the women do with her feet. She was uh, some kind of swimming lady like they had in Florida. I don't know what they called them, but she had done a little traveling. But she was very beautiful and red hair. But she would put her cap on and show me moves and raise her legs and point her toes and go under and you know she was really good she was very acrobatic mm-hmm. uh, but so she taught me how to swim but one day it, the water was really high and I went out and I got exhausted I was just a little kid 
and I couldn't make it this time. And I'd done it twice. I'd done it one time before, and the girl had pulled me up. So I thought she pulled me up again, but it wasn't her because I realized I was like still five feet away from the water. And there was a little ledge you could get out and stand on a little lip they had at the fountain. It was a really mm-hmm. huge fountain. And, uh, but she wasn't there. And so my mind had created that she had pulled me up again, but she was, and I asked her, uh, she came out and she said, you were drowning. I couldn't get to you this time. And, uh, I said, I know, but I was like five feet away, but I, she was something like, you know, but she was like, yeah, cause the water would go up and come down and spray. But I was really drowning. I knew it, and I gave up. So, you know, you're exhausted, and you're like, blah, 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 and you just sink. Mm-hmm. But I had my hand up. I know that one of those angels pulled me up, pulled me up in the water and dragged me over. I don't know how they do it, but I do know that it's possible. So I believe in angels. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but I do know that feeling. I, don't, I can't say what they look like, but it's a feeling and a, a saving grace. It's a... Uh, pull you, you know, you've got a foot or two of water over you with your hand up because my hand was completely covered. And uh, they pulled me up and pulled me over. So I didn't have to swim. They just pulled me up and pulled me up, and there was nobody there. So I don't, I do that. And that same feeling was when I used to drive a truck sometimes at night. And I'd be by myself. I used to drive a big truck when I was older. And I'd get that feeling. And I could sometimes wake up at the wheel and feel like they were hands. So I don't know who these invisible people are, but I believe that they exist. And I don't know what to call them, so I always call them angels. E.T. Right, E-T. right. Yeah, we could do a whole thing on on angels and when they, when they interact with us. And so, yeah, I've had that same thing. And then there, there's an energy when you come back from dealing with them. It's like a different vibratory frequency, right? So we're doing with angels. Yeah, you, you're almost like yeah. You're not sure if you're awake or sleeping or a dream. It puts you in some kind of feeling of a stasis, but not really. But you know, you you recognize you almost drowned. For some reason, your human container knows it was in jeopardy. That part of you, your right. physical alien or physical non-alien, but your spirit or your soul. I've suffered. I'm not sure how this works. It seems to me the power of three is your physical container, which is your body. Then there's the observer or mind that you're conscious with. And then your oversoul or your super conscious, which is connected to source or God. It was like that's the way we've been trained in America, going to school and going to church and then learning about God. There's a connection. So when I work with these Allied Command off-planet as an older person in my 40s, 30s and 40s, and met Tom, I, I would say there's the physical me, and then I would call my higher self, Tara. That was the one that did the readings and helped people uh, to know things, the intuitive precog. And then I still have the observer it can observe the container. Uh, I guess we're multidimensionals because I have several me's that I'm aware of. And everybody can know right. how many, but the seven, 12 dimensions, 12 dimensions of self. 
And uh, 13 is supposed to be your God's source or your Jesus self, 13, because he always had 12 apostles to teach. He was the greatest metaphysician. So we, And then when we do Atlantis and we do Stargate, we have to have 12 egos or tarot cards or archetypes in a circle like a clock. So there's something to the 13 being the all number one commander metaphysician when you're working in the ancient mystery schools. And uh, you know how they do the 33 Masons, 33. So there's numerology involved in all this stuff. And I've tried to study and read books all my life about this stuff. So, but we've got – this is going to take a long time to make this work for alien contact experiencers. But we do need to break it down and use ourselves, our, our, us observing ourselves and our own personal stories, you know, from the heart and the soul, mind, body, spirit. Right. And uh, what does that mean to people? Because we're just now talking. We've always had the uh, cult and the esoteric, excuse me, and the exoteric, EXO and ESO. And I have the ACE Metaphysical Institute, and I have Ascension Psychic Awakening classes. And you asked me about ESP classes. I didn't know about what you're talking about with that, but apparently some part of me let somebody know, my higher self or something. But you know how... Shirley McLean did out on a limb and tried to write her book, and everybody thought she was crazy and nuts. It took forever. She out did, on a limb. She and, did what? Yeah. Oh, out on a limb, yeah. Well, I loved that book. I, I would um, be on a ski, uh, ski vacation. I'd go skiing with my friends and stuff, and, and then there were just times where, you know, you just curl up in front of the fireplace with a good book, and... I read all Shirley MacLaine's books, and they they were just wonderful. She was a great writer, and um, she just she well, gave us had permission. A yeah, to be different. Well, she had a yeah. channeler, and so channeling. Oh was yeah, she a talks about her channeler. Yeah, I broke it down and teach it, but it was a big thing in the seventies and eighties, and then when I was in the eighties. So I've got a book on all that in my. You know, all the different mm-hmm. ways to teach that. Still have some ways to help people learn to do that. But channeling wasn't for everybody. And then we started wondering who we were channeling. <laughs> and it teaches this in this. I have an explanation for all that. But a lot of people, we, it's something we learned in our spiritual path. And uh, some people did, and some have self purpose, and some don't. Some have past lives, some don't, some are new. So it's a whole study and research that developed, you know, and then Dolores Cannon came along and gave permission. You know, Shirley MacLaine right. in one way, and most, most people don't know she has her own way of, they changed the name of what she was teaching to take people back in hypnotic regression and talk to these their higher selves and old souls and star people, you know. You've, you've, you can, people can look at Dolores Cannon and see her work. And you and I are starting another level. We're going to the next level, as you say. Right. So, so I think we, we're going to take it further. So let's do one more thing and then call it a day. We have it's forty three before the hour. And so mm-hmm. let's see, let's let's go down. Um what else happened before you were the age of ten? 
Do you have anything else you want to share that happened before you were the age of 10? Mm, can't remember anything. How about you? Well, I had an episode where I was trying to integrate into being like this human. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. It's like a, I had this awareness that I was an eternal being, and part of it was being on board the ship. And But I wasn't quite fitting in. And I think you said something similar, that you were really um, – advanced. So I was, I remember I was advanced and I was talking, oh, I was levitating, uh, very young. I was still in the crib and I was levitating and it used to freak my mother out. And one time and I would, I would get out of the crib and I'd fly around the room and then I would pop back down in the bed in my crib and I would start to giggle. And it was so much fun. <laughs> and um, and then my mother heard me giggling, and I was in the other room, and she was in the kitchen, and we had a washer and dryer in there, and so she was, she liked to hang up the clothes in the kitchen, let them dry, because um, she was always about saving energy, because she was paranoid about money, because she was a child of the Depression. So anyway, she popped her, her head back into the dining room where she had put my crib because it was very cold in Pennsylvania in the winters. And um, she saw what happened, and she absolutely freaked out. So I never did it again, but I never forgot. And then I was at the Prophets Conference in the 90s or to the early part of the 20th. I think it was probably the late 90s, early 21st century, like around 2000, 2001, that type of thing. And there was a, a a young man that took the mic, was asking a question, and he explained how he was in a, um orphanage as a young boy, and it was Catholic orphanage, and that he used to fly around, and the nuns would just get angry, and they'd try to pull him down, and, you know, they would spank him, you can't be doing that, and, you know, until he freaked out. So there you got your Catholics were saying, she's, T.J. Teresa's talking to angels, right? So there was some kind of Catholic intervention there where they're trying to keep you, well, they're looking for miracles, right? Or they want to keep you in the matrix, keep you oh, confined. In the yeah, that's yeah. where I had, yeah, the second grade. So, yeah, the nuns had me talk to a guy, and they were going to report me to the Vatican and all that. It was going to be a miracle, and... So what happened is my grandmother and mother talked to me for two or three days about this. It's a big deal. But they told me if I really didn't want to, my mother and grandmother schemed. They were scared that they would take me away. So it must have been a really big deal for me to live in a miracle and all that. They must have wrote it up and sent it to the Vatican or something. But they told me when I talked to them, if I really didn't want to go, to tell them they had wings. So I said, that's not going to work. They said, yeah, it work. So we all three schemed together to tell them that, yeah, they had wings. So they knew that it wasn't real, and it worked. So uh-huh. they left me alone. Yeah, so that was good. <laughs> you know, cause they, they didn't have wings. So, And I don't know, but whatever I said and whatever they you know told me and stuff, they wanted, and they wrote it down. So it must, I may have had a message or something back then, but I don't remember it now. But I still remember right. when you look in the corner. I can still look up, like I'm looking in the corner right now, and I almost want to visualize them and make them appear, you know. So uh, that is interesting, though. There's always the 
Catholic thing come up throughout history with seeing children and children giving children messages. But yeah, I always felt special. And I do have a lot uh-huh. of flying into in, this day, especially at night in my dreams. And I mean, I do know, I don't know how to say it yet, but I know what I believe and what, and what I know that I do. And I, I want to be able to speak, address it to the public that will hear this and those that may or may not have similar experiences as alien contact or extraterrestrial angelic contact, however you want to say it, is the fact that you don't get lost in the words, but the energy and things that have happened have made impressions on your memories. And then I want to get on later on with, you know, the uh, government involvement and being chosen as a teenager and, you know, working with the government. Well, we'll do this again. Yeah, we'll go deeper into the story. Um, maybe we can cover some later years. Um, yeah, so you know, there, I, I did a lot of well, can... traveling as well. But let me let me give you the punchline to the uh, the story of the, the you know levitating. So then uh, okay. this young man that was telling asking the question, telling about his involvement when he was in the Catholic uh, uh, orphanage, he said, "Well." If anybody's had any experiences levitating, uh, meet me in the back <laughs> under that sign. So we all, so then there was a break. It was a conference and there was a break. And I told Sasha, wow, I remembered something. So it was like when he said that, people remember things. And I went in the back and I thought, oh, it'll just be me and this guy, right? There were a dozen people back there. And we all started sharing our stories. It was like, well, he said that. It was like, yeah, I remember levitating, and, and we and we had just enough time to go, you know, real quickly about share your story, and then we had to, you know, leave because the next uh, speaker was coming on or something. But um, it, anyway, so that was that. Um, I'm we're, we're, let's wrap this up because um, I've got to go here in a few minutes. Oh, so we're going to do this again, what, in about a month? We're going to have other guests between now and then. If anybody wants to come on Aquarian Radio and TJ Morrissey T Radio on a Thursday and you've got something to share, uh, please send me an email at aquarianradio at gmail.com. Now, TJ does other shows. I do a couple other shows um, on Revolution Radio. So the uh, Aquarian Radio, TJ Morris ET Radio, we, we syndicate this. That's on Thursdays. And we're doing it, what, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Mountain, 4 p.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Hawaii time. And we're going about two hours. And you can come on for either one or one hour or two hours. So if you send me an email, Aquarian Radio at Gmail, I'll get you scheduled there. Now, uh, and then the, uh, the Revolution Radio shows I do are on Sunday and Tuesdays, 8 to 10, with Dr. Sasha Lesson. Now, TJ, what are your other shows that you do? What, well, what days and week have you decided? Tomorrow night's Alex Command with Ken Johnston. And uh, he brought on Don Garrett last week that was a pilot for the Air Force and uh, they worked on the uh, testing everything before the O-rings 
happened where Grizzly Chessman White got killed in uh, one of the spacecraft. And we're, like we're saying, alien civilizations exist, but Don Garrett's a Baptist preacher, but he was an Air Force officer, and he was, went to West Point. He was chosen by the Army, the last guy before they let, stopped letting the Army guys go to West Point or something like that. But you can listen to that show last Friday. In this Friday... Uh, I don't know who we're having. He was talking to Laura Eisenhower, but I don't know if he booked her for Friday. But uh, we're going to be talking about the Allied Command tomorrow night. And uh, I don't know. Uh, we've got various people that have agreed to help us with the Allied Command. And we're going to have the NASA astronauts and the pilots and the engineers and all of those. And then talk about the world real Supreme Allied Command and then the one – off planet and uh, your husband Dr. Alexander Sasha Lesson has been helping with path flight regression and uh, Ken wants to somehow he's calling it the secret space program I think because of Corey Good but uh, remember Richard called it breakaway civilization then there was uh, two or three years ago a secret space website and an event in Texas and then Corey Good I don't know if he just called it that or everybody latched onto it but uh, Ken likes it and I've got ufosecretspace.com but I've also got the allycommand.org or so we're going to yeah, do it's shows like allycommand.org but Norio Hawakawa so, Norio just came on this little Norio's spot. coming on um, just to give you, uh, everybody a little preview Norio Hawakawa I don't know how you pronounce it. Hayakawa. Okay, yeah. what? Maybe I misspelled that. Anyway, it's I'll get his information. I'll get it up. Hayakawa. He's coming on the seventh. He's coming on the seventh of March. Um, he wants, he's coming on for one hour. And he's coming on at seven p.m. Eastern for one hour. So we're doing two-hour shows, but some people want to come on for one hour. So just to give you a little preview, on the 14th of February, we have Merrill Honkhauser, and he's the one that did Wipeout, but he does all this wonderful music, and he's an ET contact experiencer, and he knows all about these, um, a lot of the musicians got inspiration from their extraterrestrial encounters. So he's going to be on. And then on the 21st, we have Mike Paticello, and he's with MUFON, and I forget what state. I've got to fill that out. Um, so anyway, uh, I am looking for someone on the 5th of February. I'm opening, and I, I kind of, yeah, send me your info if anybody out there wants to come on or if you have any recommendations. I, I'm trying to get new people. I'm kind of, I've done a lot of people, well, and I, I'm looking for the newbies. I like some newbie people. So there, and you have had some kind of experiences, or you've written a book uh, on ET, UFO, that type of thing, paranormal thing. Uh, please give me a, a shout out and call, or not call, but email. I'm not good at phone calls. Email. Well, what about All right, the girl, Suzanne Ross said should come on. I have to her back. I'm, send, I'm sending out emails. Uh, people are looking at their calendars and getting back at me. So, anyway, I will get all that coordinated. So, send it to okay, me, and I will get it on the calendar, and I'll 
let TJ know, and then you can. How can people contact you, TJ, if they want to come on one of your shows? Uh, my email What's is your... the best, but you can call me, TJ Agency at gmail dot com. Yeah, so write to email. Um, TJ's hard to reach on the phone. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. That's TJ Morris Agency at gmail dot com for TJ and Aquarian Radio at gmail dot com for Janet and um, you know and we could probably put you on several shows. We like to space people out. If you come on a show one month, we might you know have you back again like the next month. We want to give everybody an opportunity. There's so many people out there that are waking up, becoming conscious, writing books, creating blogs and YouTubes and movies and videos. And, um, so this is part of the grand awakening, and it's happening now. And it's just about time because we don't do something soon, as you can tell by the sub minus up to minus 50 degrees in some places even more, the temperature, something is happening on our planet. So we need to wake up, become conscious, and take some affirmative action to save, I guess the world would be fine without us, but yeah, it's not good to have these extremes. I like the Earth. I I love the Earth. And I've been a part of this consciousness movement since I literally was born, probably before I was born, like TJ. So TJ, I'm going to pass you the final talking stick so you can take us on out. It's 57 before the hour, and I have to leave out on the hour because I have to do something else. Take it away, TJ, with your final words. All right. Well, tomorrow is Ken Johnston Sr. He was a Grumman astronaut, and he's very excited about working with us with the ACO Association. And he and me and Janet met in 2017, and we're just getting geared up. We have a lot of groups on Facebook, social media, and uh, we're all going to be telling our stories. And I guess the most famous people are David Wilcock, Corey Good, and Emory Smith for people knowing because of Gaia TV. And uh, we've been doing this since 2012. And I think Gaia came in after we did, actually. I don't know for sure, but I don't even know who owns Gaia right now. But um, anyway, we're not Gaia, but we're not ancient aliens either. Although, in the future, we're going to talk about people we meet off-planet in past lives and back here and why the government was so interested in uh, the uh, Stargate program and uh, Russell Targ and other people (laughs) and uh, the CIA using the uh, Stargate and learning to help people and how we all have this ability with our intuitive selves. And uh, there's a lot of great movies out there. Philip K. Dick, Minority Report, and uh, The Adjustment Bureau, and Total Recall. And uh, we have a lot of friends. And Roger Smith and his wife is having in March in Albuquerque a uh, universal conscious type. But Janet, we used to always talk Richard. about them. So we'll, Richard, Richard Smith. Smith. Richard Smith. Yeah, you got What's Roger. It's Richard. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let. Uh, I'll let Ken talk about it tomorrow because he's going. He wants us to go. But me and Janet are really about getting all these websites and all these groups organized as we're the admins and uh, so free social media and now here in our website. So 
it's going to take us some time, but if you'd like to help us, please call us or email us, and uh, we'll try to work with you and use your speech craft in communication. Thank you, Janet. We're out of time, so let's uh, wrap Thank this up. Thank you. And Aloha, Thursday. love, and blessings. Aloha, love, and All blessings. Right. We'll see you again next week. Same same time, same bat channel. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye-bye. Aloha, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Good night.